You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 316. I am Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Whoop, whoop. We're, st- we're, st- we're still on uh, wire. We're still on wire. We've been busy and got some good suggestions from listeners about what we should try. We just haven't we tried any of them yet. You don't you don't want to try one by creating an account 10, uh, ten seconds before we start recording the show. No, probably not the ideal <laughs> solution. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have any problems last week. <laughs> no, last week it went fine. This week, you were having connection issues. But do you think that was on your computer, or do you think that was something to do with wire? It seemed to be some sort of computer thing, but it, it was in wire in the client on um, on my computer. Um, and it was one of those things where you don't, you can't, it just isn't working, but you can't see why not. Um, and you kind of do the whole reboot, reconnect type dance, and it just starts working again. So I don't know. So kind of weird. Well, you know what? The, the provider is as much responsible for the software that you use to connect as they are to the infrastructure behind it. So Very true. So um, it, it is a concern because new version of macOS coming in a couple of weeks, and if there are developers on on top of it, then we may have issues. True, but I do have my trusty uh, MacBook Pro 17 inch that is kind of in the back of my mind. If our software gets hosed that we use to do our show with, I'll just break that machine out. Yeah. So. We've got a lot of stuff to cover this week. Don't know if we're going to get to it all, but it's almost compulsory that we have to start with the event Apple held this week to unveil the new iPhones, new Apple TV, and new Apple Watch. Now, I don't want to go through... Anybody listening to this show has already... You've either watched the keyboard or you have read all the news about it. Uh, And it's... You know, Apple events are one of those things that they get covered in the mainstream media. So even if you are not a huge uh, Apple fan and wouldn't have gone looking for specifically for the information, you've probably heard what these phones are about. Right. So let's more or less focus on our opinions. And let's start with the biggie, the iPhone X, the horribly named iPhone X. Let me get this straight. Apple spends... 20 minutes of the keynote of the presentation talking about the new iPhone eight and how great it is. And then we have one more thing and it's the iPhone 10 just from a marketing perspective. Are you stupid? Why would you come out with an iPhone 10 that's going to ship a couple months later? And you're also shipping the iPhone eight, which is the replacement for the iPhone seven so you're going from six six s seven eight and ten i i don't i don't get it i i i get that they want to make this a special phone great why would you name it 10 because it's the 10th anniversary sure great and they went back to the freaking roman numerals for this crap which I thought Apple was finally done with, but no, here we go again. Back to the Roman numeral, which everyone hates. Is it X? Is it 10? I don't know. Yeah. Um, certainly in my circles, there's been some confusion over that. Um, and 
we've had that for a long time before. A, a lot of people used to get, you know, yeah, yeah, we used to have OS 10, OS X. People used to get mixed up. Yep. And um, the, I mean, I presume that that, and, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched the uh, the whole keynote. I I've did watched highlights. I've not watched the whole thing. I presume it's because it's the tenth anniversary of the iPhone. It's called the OS OS the iOS iPhone ten. But did they say that in the keynote? Did they explain no. that? No. Right. So Just a lot one of more people thing are and... going to be kind of confused yeah. because they won't have unless you're steeped in Apple history, you won't know. Um, and what are they going to call it when it comes <laughs> when they update it next year? Yeah. No. Well, worse than that. Uh, in two the years. XS, the... in, no. 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 In, in two years is my question. I assume since they didn't go to a 7S, they went directly to 8, which I'll be honest with you, I kind of agree with that. I, I hated the whole S thing. Every other year, it's the S. Okay, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I thought that was stupid, but whatever. So now they went from directly from 7 to 8. Great. Next year, I assume they're going to go from 8 to 9. The X will be probably the X you watch. They won't change the name. It'll just be the new version of the X because that won't cause any confusion at yeah, all. But, but it won't be the new version of the X. It'll be the new version of the 10. Right. So you're already getting confused. Exactly. So then the year after that, like I said, where the iPhone 9 is now updated and that's going to be what? The iPhone 10. But... Um, yeah, I assume at that point they'll do away completely with the LED iPhones and it would, they'll all be the same thing as the, the, the 10. So they'll consolidate the line. But in the meantime, you have just so much confusion. And then is the 10 being updated? What's that next year? Like you said, and if that's being updated, then what is it in 10, in, in two years? Is it? Just to the iPhone 10 again, or do they well, skip ahead? Now it's the 11. I understand. Uh, I mean, if you if you know anything about Apple's business, you know that they are their margins are always under pressure, and they try and maintain very high margins. Um, there has been some slowdown in iPhone sales, or some not not necessarily slowdown, but there's been some um, unevenness. Basically, they've made a couple of I won't say errors, but but there was some unanticipated demand. They never expected the iPhone SE to be as popular as it was. Then they misjudged the massive jump in demand that was caused by the jump to big screens. Yep. So so the the kind of the trajectory of iPhone growth has been uneven, and that, that makes Wall Street nervous, and it makes their financial analysts nervous. Um, and I would imagine within Apple, it makes their finance people nervous because, you know, they like, they like straight lines. They like um, anticipated curves. Um, so, so this strategy appears to be about dividing the line so they have kind of a, a premium aspirational phone that's very, very expensive. Um, they can stuff that full of technology that doesn't necessarily have to be made in the same sort of volume as the regular phone. I get all of that. Um, but one of the problems that they're increasingly facing with the iPhone line is how do you improve it every year? How do you make the improvements good enough to justify getting people up to upgrade and now they've doubled that problem because now they have two different lines they need to upgrade every year or, or, or alternatively they've got a line which they might not upgrade next year perhaps they'll just keep the iPhone 10 as it is next year 
uh, in which case people are going to go uh, criticize them for that and go oh, you know um, and and as the gap in functionality closes between the um, what I'm now going to force to call the lower end phones the iPhone the current iPhone 8 line as as stuff kind of filters down and kind of in a um, you know, in the same way that, that technology in a Mercedes S-Class filters down to a Honda Civic over time. Um, so as as the lower-end phones improve, the gap between that and this premium phone is going to narrow if they don't update the premium phone. And so they are, they're either kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. They've either got to now struggle to add new features to two different lines of phones every year, or alternatively, they, they look at the, the gap between the premium and the regular phones narrow, to the point where some people are going to be saying, well, the premium phone is just a piece of junk now. You might as well buy the better value, cheaper one. Yep. So it's it just – obviously, I'm no, I'm no great business maven, but, but it is a concerning that perhaps they have stored – with this strategy, they have stored up for themselves some problems for the future that, unfortunately, Apple has not been – rock solid in terms of anticipating the future in the last few years. And the naming convention that they're using for the iPhone, especially the iPhone 10, is a really poor business decision. It should not have been named iPhone 10. It just should not have been. The well, the moniker yeah. of the numbering system should have stayed with the main the consumer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I, I do. Find, I, we were all kind of expecting it to be the iPhone Pro. Well, they and have I established that Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, exactly. iPad, iPad Pro, Pro, iPhone Pro. Yeah, it I, denotes it the high-end special one. It, it, yeah, it just, just seems to have been the obvious choice, but maybe that's not what they want to do. I, I you know, it's stupid. It really is just stupid. I. I and like you, I'm not a business maven, and but it seems dumbfoundingly simple that you name it the iPhone Pro, not iPhone 10, when you're releasing the iPhone 8. Yeah. It's well, to me that's somebody, marketing 101. Somebody thought it was a good idea, so well, obviously it's, it is. it's Tim Cook. Well, the buck stops at Tim Cook. The buck stops with Tim Cook, but you know <clears> we don't know who who argued for that. <laughs> you know, I don't care who argued for it. That's immaterial. It's it's well, on him. Yeah, look, I, I I get the impression nowadays that Apple is less of a uh, dictatorship than it was under Steve Jobs. I think I think Tim Cook is probably a fair bit more collaborative, and that means that. There could be times that he's persuaded to do things that other people believe passionately about that maybe he's not so enthused about. I don't think he necessarily always plays the I want to do it this way card. I don't think that's his style. I think he, he holds that in reserve for when he feels it's really important. Right, and that's why we have an iPhone 8 and an iPhone 10 released at the well, same yeah. time, stupidly. I, 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 I would imagine there were, uh, there were people inside Apple on either side of this debate we're having right now and ultimately... It was decided to go with one or the other, and we'll see whether whether it works out or not. Whether, in fact, like some like many things Apple does, they're a big deal at a time where they appear to be a big deal, and then after a while nobody cares. Remember, a lot of people criticised the iPad name when it first came out, and now nobody blinks. So, who knows? the uh, other aspect I want to discuss, David. Yep. I can't stand when people say. Steve Jobs wouldn't have done this. 
This is not something Steve Jobs would not approve. I think that's grossly unfair to the current management of Apple. Yep. And I think it's a straw man argument. Well, people say that knowing nothing really about Steve Jobs. Right. One of the hallmarks of the Steve Jobs era is that we didn't know an awful lot of what, what went on inside Apple at the time and and how Steve Jobs was involved in those decisions. We have a we have an assumption and we have anecdotal that, that evidence. Could, it could be ninety percent myth. Sure. No. But know, as someone who's been changed his mind on the dime when he when he felt like it, so who knows what he would have done faced with a particular set of decisions. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about Apple and specifically Steve Jobs, and I relate a couple of my anecdotes, my personal interactions with Steve Jobs. I've had a couple. And, you know, what I saw him do on the showroom floor, the expo hall at Macworld 2000, uh, as well as my uh, exchanges with him about the eWorld name, mm -hmm. doesn't inform me at all <laughs> yeah. on any decision. Or, or his decision-making process. Yeah, I would say we'd know more. We know more about Donald Trump's decision-making processes than we do. About I, I would agree with that. Jobs. Yeah. That being said, as someone who's been writing about or or covering Apple for a very long twenty-two years, I do think I have an insight that's probably more informed than the average tech writer out there right now or Facebook pundit. The biggest strength of Steve Jobs <clears throat> wasn't management and wasn't some kind of a technological maven. That's not who Steve Jobs was. What Steve Jobs had an abundance of and which he forced onto Apple and helped Apple turn around was taste. It's yep. just that. And it's so hard to contextualize what that really is and define it. You know it when you see it and you know it when it's absence in a product. And while something like the Mac cube was a commercial failure from an artistic or a taste it was brilliant. To this day, you look at a G4 Cube and you're like, well, that is a really nice looking machine. Because there was taste behind it. Yep. I would argue the same thing would apply to the first iPhone. To the first iPod. And that's my biggest issue with the iPhone 10. Specifically, it's the notch. It is about the most un-Apple thing I've seen in years. It is horrifically bad taste. You have this beautiful screen, no question about it. And you have this ugly, ugly, ugly notch at the top of the screen that makes no sense at all from a design perspective 
and is about the most poor taste I've seen from Apple in many years. And that's where I think it's fair to say there's no freaking, and I'll say this with 100% conviction, there's yeah. no freaking way Steve Jobs would have let the iPhone 10 be seen with that stupid notch at the top. There's no, no, no way. None. So here's where I, I'm on this. Um, I think that the notch represents a technical compromise. I think originally they went into this, they wanted edge to edge, all, yep. four, all four edges, and they wanted to deliver a phone that with using, you know, capitalizing on OLED that means that when you show a black on an OLED screen, it's black. I mean, it's it's literally not lit. So the areas of the screen that should black basically fade into the glass, into the background in a way that even with the iPhone 7 now, um, it doesn't quite do. And I think that's where they started from. And then they tried to solve the... Um, authentication problem and the rumor was that they were working on trying to get touch id working through the screen and a couple of things i've read the last couple of days suggested that they abandoned abandoned that very quickly and switched to what it was now called face id and don't get me wrong face id is a very very clever system far more sophisticated than anything anybody's done before which is kind of what you'd expect just in the same way that before Touch ID came along, when the rumors started that they were going to have touch sensing on the phone, everyone went, that's going to suck because touch sensors suck. And they did until Apple did it. Yep. And, and I think Face ID is, while I do have some functional concerns about it um, that maybe we'll get to later, or maybe we'll get to one on another show, um, I think it's going to be a similar step change. And I think that's what Apple wanted to do. Is They wanted to show, look, we can take this technology that's not very good and we can make it superb. And I think that's what they've tried to do. Unfortunately, to get there, they need sensors, and those sensors have to sit somewhere. And eventually they came to the decision that they had to um, basically notch them into the edge of the screen. And you're right, it looks ugly. It looks terrible. It looks... It's one of those things that uh, you're not going to notice a lot of the time, but when you notice it, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb quite literally no i I think it does i think it sticks out like a sore and i think it's completely noticeable i think it's the defining unfortunately for apple it is the defining characteristic of the phone aesthetically because most people are going to look at the back most people are going to be putting them in a case so you're not going to see the sides you're not going to see the back you're not going to notice the camera bump you're going to notice that ugly ugly notch at the top of the screen Every single time the screen is on. Every time. Well, here's, so here's, here's where I think they're gambling. And we'll see whether it pays off or not. Because I suspect this is something that you're not really going to be able to assess properly until you see the screen in your hand. Um, I don't think it's, it comes across well in screenshots or in pictures or in videos or anything like that. Because ultimately the way a a camera sensor perceives the world is not the same the human eye perceives the world i think where they're coming from with this is that when you hold the phone in front of you uh, on either side of the notch you've got status indicators and those are white text on a black background and they're gambling that because of oled technology the black background will fade into the edge of the notch and it won't really be noticeable however turn that phone landscape uh, particularly on a web page or something like that, 
and there's the notch. You can't get away from it. Yep. And then there they've had to make a choice. They've had <laughs> to make a choice between either um, cutting off the screen below the edge of the notch so that they have a, a straight rectangle or kind of embracing the notch and saying, yeah, the screen goes in and the notch kind of covers up part of the screen or that's the way it looks like. They've made that decision to have the notch visible. It'd be interesting to see whether that changes in the future. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt sales for the most part because I I I think think so many people are going to jump on that phone. It kind of looks clunky because I think it looks like It doesn't kind of. It is clunky. It's clunky. And and it's, it's the opposite of good taste. It's, yeah, it's I think bad it's taste. absolutely a case of um, we've got to put this technology somewhere. This is the only place it can go. Um, and ultimately, them saying, them all looking at the at the calendar, and when they got to get the phone re- release and everything, and saying, you know what, this is the best best we can do. And maybe Johnny Ive dies a little inside every time he sees one. And specifically knowing that there's no way Steve Jobs would have had that let that happen. There just isn't. And I I say that with 100% conviction. No way that phone, that design is released under Steve Jobs. He would have had a stroke. Maybe this will be the change we see in the iPhone X with with the version 2, which is they find a way to make it go away. Um, They find a way to mount that stuff behind the screen. Or they find a way to miniaturize it and put it closer to the edge of the screen. Or they switch. They decide it doesn't work properly. They switch back to Touch ID. That won't happen. Um, you know, I. I mean, I. I was kind. Of, I've got to be honest. I when I first heard about the phone edge to edge, I was kind of assuming that they would find a way to put a Touch ID sensor into the button on the side, and you would do it that way. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by the the face recognition thing. And as great as it works. Um, and as much that the media has kind of made a meal of the fact that the phone was locked when Craig Federighi picked it up during the demo and he had to switch over back up and we now have been told why that was because people were handling it beforehand and inadvertently triggered the lock I think that does in itself demonstrate the risk you take with this sort of technology no matter how good it is is that you are relying on the sensors on the phone to do some work for you, you are not deliberately activating them. And you can get yourself in a mode where you don't quite understand why it's done what it's done. Even with Touch ID, we've all had that experience where you pick up your iPhone and for some reason, the, the, you know, there seems to be no logical reason behind it, it's saying you've got to put your passcode in now rather than letting you use Touch ID. And you, you can start thinking, well, did, was I touching it by accident? Did uh, some sort of timeout happen? And, and, you know, and that, that affected Craig on stage the other day. Um, it was exactly the same problem. The phone decided that it would, it, you know, that it had had enough of using that technology and you were going to switch fullbacks of the code. And the, that's the last thing you want when you're trying to show the thing off because it does look like to the uninitiated that the thing failed, that he pointed at his face and it didn't recognize him. Yep, um, and that's not what you want. But the problem is, is that there are all these edge use cases that can't be tested for in volume when you've only got a couple of hundred people using the phone inside Apple, as opposed to millions of people in the world using it. Where you're going to find situations where it doesn't behave the way people expect, and some if those accumulate enough, then people are going to go, "This is technology that's not not really ready for prime time." What do you think of face? Uh, we could save it for a, more of a discussion, but face ID, right? 
Mm-hmm. More secure or less secure than a fingerprint? Well, I, I, I think this is a thing. I don't think... It's not really a security feature. I know it's marketed that, but it isn't. It's a convenience feature. Yes, and I think yeah, it's a thousand security, times less yeah, the secure. the security feature is the encryption in the phone and the fact that you had to do something to unlock it. That is the security. Yeah, you could well argue, and many, many security researchers would argue, that a long passcode is always going to be far more secure than any biometric convenience feature. Because biometrics can always be defeated in some way. Whereas if you have a number in your head or a, a phrase in your head, you cannot be compelled to give it unless you decide to. Whereas with your face or your finger or whatever other part your body they use or your DNA or anything somebody can steal that from you or acquire it from you and use it against your will so it is a convenience feature it's not about security so I, I believe Apple when they say they've done testing that says um, that in, by some metric it's 20,000 or 50,000 times more secure than Touch ID I'm sure that those metrics stack up in the way they tested them but ultimately at the end of the day it is about your convenience not about anything else my concern with unlocking the phone this way is courts have upheld that you're not compelled to give your fingerprint to unlock your phone or your passcode involuntarily. Yep. How do you protect your face? You got this law enforcement that's falsely accusing you of something. You don't want to unlock your phone for whatever reason. And they go, okay, well, Give me your fingerprints. No, you don't get them. I'm protected by court order. You can't just take my fingerprints, nor can you compel me to give my code. Okay. Oh, yeah. By the way, look over here real quick. Oh, gotcha. Thank you. Well, the problem is, is that if you are, right, for a start, if you are really shady, if you are quite deliberately doing something illegal and you can see yourself in that situation, you should not be using a smartphone. True. Yeah. You just just the, that's but that's not that's not this what is, I'm talking it's, about. It's here. like carrying a, a smartphone is like carrying a small safe with you that contains every single secret that you don't want the police to see, and it's having it on you all the time. So all they need to do is pick you up and open the case up. But here, yeah. here, so, I'm not talking about if you're a bad guy. Yeah, you're not going to use this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about basic civil liberties. Here yeah. in the United States, we just had this big brouhaha over a nurse who a cop wanted her to take blood from somebody. Now, this wasn't someone accused of a crime. This was actually a, a victim of a horrific car crash that the police were chasing someone. This person was drunk, crashed, almost killed someone. The police, knowing that they're probably going to get sued because they were pursuing him illegally at super high speed, they said, oh, go get the guys, you know, the guy who we crashed into. Yeah, go get his blood sample. Let's see if he's been on any drugs or anything that we could, yeah. you know, so we don't have to end up paying. Well, the nurse said, well, no, yeah. he didn't consent. He's in a coma. You don't have a court order and he's not accused of a crime. So yeah. instead of the police just going out, oh, well, you got us there. They tried to arrest her. They dragged her out of the hospital. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Those are my concerns when it comes to something like face ID. Yeah. I can, um, with that, in that respect, I do agree with you. This is a problem. It is absolutely a problem. And, you know, we'll find out when the phone comes out how easy it is to turn that feature off before you engage with law enforcement. 
Um, I'm told apparently that if you squeeze both buttons on the side, then it turns Face ID off for a time. Yeah, so if the cop's holding the phone in front of your face, let's just hope he's squeezing it. Well, yeah, you know, this is the thing. I mean, to be honest with you, the um, the way to deal with the cop problem is is partly technical to make it easier to lock those sorts of things out um, and partly political. You've got to stop, stop cops from behaving like dicks, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, by strengthening the controls and making sure that cops who behave, behave like that get punished. I think part of the problem is that cops abuse their um, their powers, and uh, it's very rare. It's the same in the UK as it is in the US. It's very rare for them to get real sanctions against them for doing that. Yep. So yeah. let's uh, move on to the next thing, which is, did you know, I had no idea that this week Apple actually invented... 4k tv i had no idea i thought this was around for a few years now but it turns out no apple just invented it because they made such a big deal about four they're wow 4k tv and an apple tv david what an amazing thing in 20 freaking 17 this was this was a joke they they spent so much time hyping 4k tv i'm like are you serious right it took you so long to embrace 4K TV on the Apple TV that they look stupid. They just look, but wow, thanks, Apple. You finally caught up to, oh, I don't know, 2014. Good job. Well, I they took the decision to give it more than two minutes in the keynote. And I guess if you're going to do that, you're going to have to make it as exciting as possible. And yeah, it probably wouldn't have looked so good if they would have came out and said, look, I know we've been slow to adapt, you know, yeah, 4K. Yeah, so, but here we've done it now. Yeah, uh, here you go. go we, finally, we finally did it. We've been really, really extremely lazy about this, so there you go. Ugh, that, it, that irritated me to no end. They just kept well, talking about 4K, and I'm like, shut up, shut up. Yeah, and, the pro- and, you know, we've talked about this before. The problem I have with... with 4K and HDR and all that sort of thing is that, you know, it's all great, it's all good, but there's such a dearth of content out there. Apple giving 4K content through the Apple TV is great, but the other problem is is that watching TV through the internet, you need great bandwidth, and lots of people don't have it. Mm-mm. Um, you know, so so that's the thing. I, I I must admit, I'm I'm interested to try the apple tv i i actually won one when i was in las vegas so um the I, only reason i want one is because of the cool screensavers <laughs> that's the only reason i want one i'll be honest well, with you this is the first time i've had an opportunity to use this generation which you know i've, I've just won one and it's apparently now out of date but did you say I, one one yeah I, I i won one in a in a raffle oh cool so um this is the latest generation one that's just now become the previous generation one because yeah. it's not 4k um and i i've not had one up until now so i am looking forward to trying it out but Good. um i don't expect it to change my life no well once i got a smart tv the apple tv is redundant unless i'm actually going to watch content i purchased through itunes well yeah you gotta remember though that um the uh using an apple tv is always going to be nicer than using a uh than using a smart TV because the interfaces and those things are horrible. Yeah, but when I'm using my smart TV, I'm not using... All I'm doing is using an app. And the smart TV's strength is I can download an app. So I just... I've downloaded Plex on my smart TV and that's what I use. 
because That's smart because Plex is running on my Mac. Yeah. Um, here's something that happened that I didn't even realize until I got a text from one David Cohen that Apple took out. See, I went and updated my iTunes without thinking about it because eh, it's update for iTunes. Cool. Oh, thanks, Apple. You removed apps from iTunes. No more iOS app store in iTunes. So now I'm sitting in front of my computer. I go to a place like, oh, I don't know, Touch Arcade. That looks like a cool app. I'll download it to my iPhone. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to break out my iPhone and do a search for the app and download it that way now because there's no more app store in iTunes. So there's literally no way to get to the app store on your Mac or PC. None. In fact, if you click a link that takes you to iTunes, the app store, it launches iTunes. iTunes doesn't go anywhere, so it goes back to the web page which then tries to go back to the app store. So it launches iTunes, which then takes you back to the web page, which then takes you back to, I'm not kidding. Yep. Um, I, I, I understand that they've updated in iOS 11, the uh, app store app on the phone and all the marketing that they, or the, knowledge that they've put on their website about this change refers to the fact where well, you can use the new um, app application, new app store application on your phone or your iPad. Well, the problem with that is, first of all, we haven't got that yet because we haven't got iOS 11. Um, <laughs> secondly, there's a whole lot of people who have devices that won't run iOS 11. Um, and this is a huge reduction in functionality. For that, no apparent reason. Well, look, we... <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. We've been complaining for years that iTunes needs is over bloated and needs sorting out, and they've done it by just surreptitiously stripping away a major chunk of functionality with no replacement. You know, it's the, one the, thing that I can't manage my iTunes li or my my app library on my different devices through iTunes. That's a pain in the butt, but that's something I can live with. I can also f usually find a workaround to getting my content into apps on the device uh, books for instance i don't buy all my books in either kindle or uh ibooks i want to bring my own stuff onto it well there's workarounds i can do it with dropbox i can do it with icloud i, I can get my content on there it's going to take 10 times longer but i can do it there's a workaround what i can't work around is simply comfortably in front of in front of my computer looking at new apps for that device on a much larger screen much easier to go to a site like touch arcade which i already mentioned seeing that oh here's all the new releases they think are worth looking at their game of the week uh, i'll click that and oh well, i can't i gotta go to the device itself to look at their content just so i can click the link and, and get the app it's stupid it's, it's, it's taking that. out functionality. I mean, there's, a whole load of, there's a whole load of apps that are going to disappear yep. from the App Store in the next few days because mm -hmm. of what's being referred to on Touch Arcade as the Apocalypse. Yep. Because 32-bit app support is disappearing. Yep. So those, all those games, all those bits of software are going to be pulled from the App Store, and it's going to be like they never existed. Yep. 
Now, at least in the past, you could have a copy of that in iTunes on your Mac, mm-hmm. and then when you wanted to put them on the device, you could drag them over. You're not able to do that anymore without that interface. Right. Oh, you, my my iPhone 4 that I still use to play games on, these legacy games that I really enjoy, that I, oh, by the way, I paid for, that are not 32-bit compatible or 64-bit compatible, my iPhone just crashed in a way that I have to restore it. I can't even plug it into the computer to get those apps back now. Yeah. And, Apple and just there, wholeheartedly there be, stole money will, from us. Thank you, Apple. Yeah, there will be people who say, you know what? For precisely that reason, I'm not going to go to iOS 11. Yeah. I want to be able to pay, play whatever game it is. I haven't finished it. Um, I paid $15 for it. So, you know what? I'm going to hold off on iOS 10. Oh, on iOS 11, I'm going to stick on iOS 10. Uh, and I'm going to keep playing that game. And then if they have a problem with their phone, they're not going to be able to get it back off their Mac yep. and restore it, to, restore it to their thing. And also as well, both iTunes on their Mac or their PC and the phone themselves are going to be driving them mad every few minutes saying, you need to upgrade to iOS 11, you need to upgrade, upgrade to iTunes 12.7. It, 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 is, it is, in every sense of the world, word, Apple stole our content. They stole yeah. it. And, and they act like it, it's a benefit to us. Well, we well, made iTunes faster. We we gave it more. Fo- oh, so is there's a replacement on my computer then? No, no. All that content that you can't sync now, that you can't re-download from the Apple Store that you paid for, that's legally yours. We're not even going to give you the ability to get to it now. It's just yeah. gone forever. It's yeah. It's it's terrible because if you do a if you if you have a large device, a one twenty eight gig device, say, and you back it up to your to iTunes before they, they did this update. At the same time, what you could do is you could tell iTunes to download all those apps to its library. And then if you ever wanted to restore that device, you restored from the backup, yeah, and then it would load the apps over a cable to the phone yep, or to the iPad, meaning you did not have to download gigabytes upon gigabytes of data, which even if you have a fast connection and Wi-Fi, takes forever, Yep, 128-gig phone. Yep. You now can't do that. You now can only download those apps from the App Store, which means you can only go off of a wireless connection, which is, means you've got to do it in a dog-slow way. Thanks, so, Apple. So some people say, well, yeah, but that's always been the case on Android, so what's the big deal? Because it wasn't always the case on iOS. Yeah. And that was Apple's solution. Well, you make a copy in iTunes, and then you can restore it from there. It, yeah, it's... The- the this reasoning the for this is, they yeah, take things away from you because they know best. They know best. Uh, I and look, I I know people are like, wow, they're really down on Apple. Everyone else seems to be excited about all the new stuff. You guys are just downers. Well, it's because we are downers this week. It, it, I think the iPhone eight looks cool, and when it comes time for me to update, if I do upgrade my phone this year which I need to do soon because my iPhone 6 Plus is really getting long in the tooth. Um, But I've got three other phones on contract that I'm paying for, so I'm holding off. But if I was to upgrade, I would get the iPhone 8 Plus. I like the form factor of the iPhone 10. I like the... I, I get a larger size screen, but yet in a smaller footprint phone. Love that. Love yeah. it. But I like, I like what you're getting, for the most part, with the iPhone 8. Inductive charging, 
Um, the glass back, uh, a much better camera than the one in mine, marginally better, if at all, than the one in the seven. Um, I think it's a, it's a worthy upgrade. I, I think this is actually one of the things that first came across to me when I saw where the kind of what came out of the keynote is to me, you know, you're paying an awful lot of extra money for that, that new screen and face technology in the iPhone 10. Yep. But actually, apart from that, you're getting nearly everything else in the iPhone 8s for substantially yep. less money. For, I've yes. talked to so I've talked to a few people here. And availability. Office. Let's not forget that. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that that too. Because the uh, the iPhone 10 is not even available till November. Um, so I talked to quite a few people in the office, and everyone has, has said to me, uh, "The iPhone 10 looks very nice, but I'm not paying a thousand pounds for a phone." Yep, I've yeah. heard that too. I've heard people say a thousand. I'm not paying that much. Yeah. So and then I, I even have one guy who's got, <laughs> he's got the new Samsung Galaxy Note. And he was like, I can't believe how much the new iPhone costs. I'm like, you do realize the co- the phone that you just bought under your contract that you're paying like 40 bucks a month for is only $70 cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. It's $940. Yeah. Are you kidding me? But there's a, there's a mindset when you're at 999, that's a thousand dollars. That's a thousand pounds. There's the Cut. thing, the thing with the ten is that actually most people are going to want the more expensive one. Right. Yeah, they're going to want the big memory one. Yep. Um So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an issue, and and that's quite that. Of course, that's ignoring the cost of wireless charging accessories and everything as well that people are going to want to. You've got to add factor those into. I, I, um, my company is has basically said that we we were on successes. I've been running my own personal seven this year. But they've said that anybody who had a six, was issued a success two years ago can go to an eight. So I'm going to get myself an eight plus. Yeah, I, uh, it's, that would be my it. choice as well. Yeah, I just don't see it. any compelling reason for when you take into consideration availability and price. There's no compelling reason for me to go to the the ten. Yeah, it has none. the same internals. Yep. So it'll be as fast. Yep. I can um, do the induction charging, which is something that I'm very very yeah. curious and. And eager to have, and, and that wasn't clear to me from from the reviews I've seen so far. Is the camera technology in the ten better than the eight plus? Not that I've seen, no. No, I don't okay. know. If, and if it is, they didn't make a big deal about it, right? Otherwise, it would stick out in my memory more because I did watch the keynote. Yeah, I took it. It took me like twelve hours because I watched half of it one night and the yeah. rest the next day. But mm-hmm. yeah, I. Uh, let's let's last thing, and, and we're going to yeah. get off Apple. Yeah, the new Apple Watch is cool. I like it, but I have I, no complaints. I've got to admit that's the, the one thing I saw in the keynote. I thought that's really kind. Initially, I was going, "What LT? What do you need LT in the watch for?" But then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? That I could go for that. I, I so could here's, too. Here's where I think the the watch is gonna is gonna sell big guns, not just for. Obviously, people, but the, the the main reason for putting LT in the watch is so people can stream Apple Music while they're running and leave their phone at home. Yeah, that is the design ethos behind it. Yep. Um, and I think if Apple have genuinely pulled it off... Well, not just the music, though. The, the phone itself, let's not... Don't downplay that. I'm going to go out running. I, I've got my watch with me with my earbuds on. And I'm going to go running. I don't have to take my phone, not just for the music, but also if I get a phone call. Yeah. I need to get a hold of somebody. Yeah, but I, 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 would, I would 
I would imagine most dedicated runners, if they if they got a phone call while they were running, they would ignore it because they're running. <laughs> well, but I, if I, you I get not, a phone no, call no, and it's your wife or your husband well, calling yeah, and the, you look, people, you might want to take that. Here in London, people who are into running don't stop for anything. I mean, I understand it, that, but you don't have to stop if you have your watch on. That's kind of my point. You I can don't, keep I, going. I think it's difficult to talk, have a conversation while you're running. I agree, um, but you can at least take it without pulling your phone out. This is true. And um, say, but, but hey, I'm is, in the middle of my run. Yeah, I know, but Johnny just stepped on a herd of bees, yeah. and, or a nest of bees, and we need to get him to the hospital. That's that's, that's fine, but I, I think I think their their thought was, you know what, people want to stream music, and they can stream music without having their phone with them if they have this. But I tell you that where, I, and it goes back to exactly what you're saying about phones, <coughs> I think where this is going to be big of people who are currently carry two phones. Yeah. Work phone and a personal phone. Yep. Because now they can carry the work phone, and then their personal <coughs> phone is on their wrist. Absolutely. And that means that they can take calls from their wife, their girlfriend, their, their wife, and their girlfriend. Well, not just phone calls, but text messages. Yeah, exactly. All of the stuff you do with your phone. Yeah. On, if you want to keep that separate from your work device, you can now do that on your wrist, so you don't have to carry two phones. And I think that's going to be huge. Yeah, I agree. So, kudos on that one, Apple. Good job. So yeah. let's move on to some other content. Uh, before we get there, though, we do want to thank our sponsor. It is OWC, uh, MacSales.com. They came out with a new product this week, David. Yep. What's they, that, then? they have the OWC USB-C travel dock. So it fits in the palm of your hand. It looks like, you know, the USB dock that they have, except it's smaller. It looks like it's been like a quarter of it cut off. And it's only 50 bucks. You get... USB 3.1 port, uh, two of them. You get a USB-C dock, uh, or port, I should say. <clears throat> so, you know, you plug it into your USB-C port on your computer, you get that mm -hmm. port back. You get a SD card reader, HDMI 2.0 port, support up to 4K resolution, it's available in four colors, and you get a two-year warranty. $50. Now, I know that they're looking at it as a travel dock, but this would probably be good if you just needed uh, a couple extra USB ports on your, your USB-C-equipped Mac and an SD card reader. And, oh, yeah, by the way, HDMI. This basically is a, a single yeah single box solution to all the ports you might need on a, on a MacBook. 50 or a, bucks. A MacBook, MacBook Pro. 50 bucks. That's a good yeah. deal. So we yeah. want to thank OWC. I'm going to put a link in the show notes directly to the new USB-C travel dock from MacSales.com. And uh, thank you very much for sponsoring the show, MacSales. We do appreciate it. And, of course, we are part of the MyMac Podcasting Network, David. So that means, in essence, a larger group of, I don't want to say like-minded because, you know, they may hate us. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but other shows that we have a lot in common with. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about, yeah, maybe there's other shows that I kind of want to get into. Well, check out geekiest show ever. Check out yep. the my Mac podcast. Let's talk Apple, the essential Apple podcast. Uh, yep. There's a lot of other shows. You could listen to a different show every single day on your drive to work just by subscribing to the MyMac podcasting network feed. And, and I bet they all like the iPhone 10 more than we do. I would imagine. <laughs> I think almost everybody listening to this probably likes the iPhone 10. And again, I, it's not that I dislike the iPhone 10, David. Yeah. 
I just dislike it. Yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's, not that you, it's not that you don't like it at all. Right. It's just that you don't really like it. Yeah, I just don't like it. it <laughs> you know what it is? Honestly, though, it just offends my sensibilities. Yeah. That notch is just unexcusable. Yeah. It can just I, is terrible. Can you just excuse me a minute? I just need to make a very quick call. Yeah. Um, hello, Apple. Yeah. You know that um, iPhone 10 I, I asked you to send to Tim? Yeah, can you, can you cancel that order, please? Yeah, I'll take full <laughs> refund. Right, thanks. Sorry. Sorry, what was that? Yeah, what nothing. Were talking about? I don't know how great the iPhone 10 is. <laughs> so we did get an email from Donnie, uh, and this is our course, our tech fan sticker update segment. We need a proper theme. That's right. We need a proper theme. Yeah, that's right. Uh, last update from Donnie, averaging 40 to 50 sticker downloads a day. So if you haven't gone to, <laughs> if you haven't used your brand new shiny notched iPhone 10 that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> uh, 50 a day, Apple can afford to knock $200 off the price of the iPhone I would, I, You would think so, at <laughs> least. Uh, make sure you go to the App Store and download, or the Sticker Store, I guess I should say. Download the Tech Fan Sticker Pack. And after you've done that, create yourself a new iTunes account and then do it again. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on the family plan, you got five different devices. Download it for each one. Yeah. <clears throat> make it a make it a family fun night. Everyone downloads the Tech Fan Sticker Pack. <laughs> Instead of a Tupperware party. Yeah, That's right. Party. There actually is a MyMac Sticker Pack as well. Yeah, don't don't download. That. No, you want the tech fan one. <laughs> if I'm going to cannibal, if I'm going to cannibalize the popularity of one of the brands I own, oh, I'm going right now. I'm going to go for tech fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we because we like those guys about as much as we like the iPhone 10. Right. So you, <laughs> so you remember the, <laughs> you remember the juicero thing, the oh. the unnecessary. Talking of press, talking of more overpriced. It, it was a it was a four hundred dollar juice presser that you could only get chopped up pieces of fruit and I'm, vegetables gonna, from the I'm company. Have, yeah, I'm going to have to stop you there because actually you're wrong. It was originally seven hundred dollars. Well, but it was reduced in price. It became yeah. much more affordable. Yeah, they're going out of business, David. In fact. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of amazed that they're going out of business. To be honest, I, I, you know what? I'm seriously for a minute. I don't want to laugh because they're going out of business. Some of these people are losing their jobs, and in this economy, that's not great. Yeah, no. and and I feel sorry for anybody who's ha first of all had to endure working there and is also now out of work because that's well. The if they work there, let's be honest, they probably yeah. had a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> I would, or perhaps a dissociative personality, so they're not really recognise what's going on around them. Right. But yeah, the thing is, what killed me about this, and we both linked different stories about this in the show notes. Yeah, um, was the corporate doublespeak in the um, in the announcement. It was funny uh, because we, in order to fulfil our mission. We announced last month that we would shift our resources to focus on lowering the price of the press of produce packs. We began identifying ways we could source, manufacture, and distribute at a lower cost to consumers. Yeah? Well, what they could have done is just send out the packs on their own with some instructions they squeeze. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just chop up your vegetables, put it in this envelope, and then put it in yeah. the juice in the in the 
press, and then you've got your juice. Uh, during this process, it became clear that creating an effective manufacturing and distribution system for a nationwide cost base requires infrastructure that we cannot achieve on our own as a standalone business. Dude, we've got like four customers in Florida, uh, man. I can't be just, doing this. Yeah. Uh, they're all this, these four people are all the way into Florida, and I got to send what? them. Uh. Why not just come out and say, you know what, we got this product wrong, instead of going. Um, you know, oh, it became, we tried to cut costs and became clear that we, it wasn't possible for us to do that, you know, like, like this is some external third party event that there's nothing to do with them. Why not come around and say, you know what? We misread the market. This product wasn't great and we're sorry. Well, they could have just changed the whole focus of the company where you practically give away the, the juice presser itself and you sell the, Bags. Yeah. You become the big pen of the juicers. Yeah. But, um, you'll make money that way. Uh, look, apparently, they are offering to refund anybody who bought one of these. Oh, that's nice. Wonderful things, which is something. I, I give them some respect for that. For somebody, provided those people do finally receive their checks. So last week, gleefully, David sends me a link. Super Mario Run is gone from the App Store. Now, you sent that as a, see, Nintendo just doesn't get it, man. And my immediate response was, eh, it's probably a mistake. It'll be back or there's an update coming. And, of course, it's exactly what happened the next day. So there was a glitch somewhere, and it was accidentally taken down. Then it was updated and put right back. I think what my reaction says more about Nintendo today than the truth I, I, I absolutely agree with you. You don't it's trust them. You don't trust them, and it wouldn't surprise if Super Mario Run, having taken everyone's $10, $15 off them, disappeared. I, I agree. I, I think it didn't make any sense for me, so that's why I, was, I gave yeah. the benefit of the doubt there. It's not that I trusted them more. It just made no sense um, from any perspective, whereas I, can, I, I did make an excuse about the NES Classic when you couldn't freaking buy one. And that made no sense, but... Well, maybe it's a brilliant marketing move. And there could still be an argument made for that, especially with the popularity it looks like that the Super NES is going to have. Yeah. And, the, oh, the, the by real, the way, the they're bringing that, that back. They could do to show that they have no idea whatsoever about how to run a business yeah. would be to, re -release, having cancelled it, re-release the NES Classic. Yeah, and they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys what? still want this oh man we better we, can we make some more yeah it's gonna take us a couple months i mean come on we just stopped making yeah yeah i know but can, can yeah. you make more oh i like sure. june is june good june july yeah that's course, that's good you know, what what season's coming up uh easter the easter yeah of course typical nintendo Bearing in mind that presumably there is a whole factory somewhere that is perfectly capable of making these things, yeah, and is now sat there doing nothing, yeah, they're not going to they're not going to make them available immediately. No, they wait till next summer. <laughs> the last thing they might want is people to buy them at the most popular time of the year. Man, I, I, I tell you, yeah, I really, really tell you. And you know what's still huge demand for these? I sold huge. mine. Did you really? I sold it, yeah, because we never used it. 
it was great. Don't get me wrong, it's great. But we just never used it. The kids never used it. I'm never at home. Well, you got a Raspberry yeah. Pi. You can make your own that has exactly. every that's, game ever that's made. That's ultimately what we're going to do. So I sold it. And yeah. guess what? I got nearly double what I paid. Oh, yeah. For it. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. And the guy I sold it to was perfectly happy to pay that. Mm-hmm. You could literally sell these for. You know what? If Nintendo had any guts, they would re release this and they would say, yeah, here you go. It's now $100. Oh, <laughs> if they had any guts, they'd be like, it's $200. What are you going to do? That $50 we charged you last time. Yeah. If you want this thing, you're going to pay. No, this one's a super special edition. Yeah. It's $200. Stop yeah. complaining that it's too much because we're going to sell out of them. Uh, it's crazy. Doing, of course, that would be the one that you see. That would be the one you can't get and we'll get, get discontinued in early January. I've always liked the European Super Nintendo mm-hmm. version better than the US. This the aesthetics yeah. of it. Yeah, it looked nicer. It did. I want that one. But it's completely uh, sold out already. I st- well, we still have our original one of those at home. Somewhere. Oh, I do too. Well, yeah. of course you talking- can't connect it to a modern TV now, so... Uh, yeah, you can. There's little adapters that you can yeah. connect it. Adapter. Adapter. Also, the Atari 2600 turned 40 years old this week. See, this is a stupid thing. Yeah, because if you go into any Walmart... You'll see about five different models of the Atari Flashback, yep. which has been doing what this thing has been doing for years at the same sort of money. And no one cares. By a company that's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they all. Lost David. See, that's what happens when you badmouth Nintendo. They'll, come, they'll get you. They will get you. So I'm going to hang up on David here and. Uh, Oh, we gave you the benefit of the doubt this week, Wire. Come on. Come on, guys. We 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 even bragged, hey, it worked good last week, and David had connection problems this morning, but we still gave you the benefit of the doubt, and then, boop, gone, just like that. So we're trying to get him back. Let's we'll see if he comes back in a second. Yeah, it's not coming back yet. He's probably has to restart uh, at least his web browser. I'll wait for him to call me. And I'm not going to pause the show and go back and fix it later. We'll just move on. But yeah, the Atari 2600, 40 years old this week. Now, I'm 47, and I have very fond memories of the Atari 2600. Do I remember when it was released? No. I didn't get it right when it first came out. I I got it when Pac-Man was coming out. You there? Still there? I'm still here. All right. So, it, it, yeah, well, what's, what happens when you badmouth Nintendo? I, I try to warn you. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to me next time. The so Nintendo I, I Mafia was, I was is no about joke. about the Atari flashback, though, that that's clearly a business. It's a thing. They make money. They've been able to update. There's been about five or six different models of that thing. Uh, they're tiny, eight. They're a tiny little eight. company. They, there's been eight versions of that thing. <laughs> there you go. Eight. Do you think See? the games are any different on the first version compared to the new one? No. No. Nope. But here's the difference, David. The people who have nostalgia for the Atari 2600 is our age. Mid to late 40s, right? Yep. We saw this 10 years ago in a store, and we bought it. Do you have one of these? A what, a flashback? Yeah. No, I don't, actually. Yeah, I see them at garage sales for 5 bucks. Yeah, I've always wanted one. I've never gone around to buy one. Yeah, you can get them anytime. In fact, uh, well, I'll stick with this. So they've been around for 10 years. 
and no one cares because anybody who did care already has one. So that nostalgia was itched. Yeah. There's a whole new generation who are now in their late 30s and early 40s who grew up with the NES, not the Atari. Their first video game system and the first game they played was Super Mario Brothers on the NES and Duck Hunt. And guess what they have? Disposable income. And now their nostalgia is kicking in strong. Right now, you're going to see a big shift really soon in Hollywood, David. For the last 10 years, the nostalgia thing has been all about the 80s, right? Probably yeah. started with The Wedding Singer, the Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore movie. Yeah. And it's it's kind of played itself out. The next big nostalgia thing you're going to see is going to be the 90s. You're going to see a resurgence of a whole bunch of 90s band. They're they're coming back. I hope you like Collective Soul because you're here. Here's Collective Soul again. Here we go. Yeah. So so get ready. That's coming. Right. So as part of that though, <clears throat> is the NES and the Super NES. So that's where we're at, and that's why it's so compelling that people want to get these. It's not for our generation, David. It's the generation behind us. That's where this nostalgia is coming from. But for us, it was the Atari 2600. That was that generation of video games. Maybe not the 2600 for you, but in general, that's where it started. That's 2600, David. Yeah. Well, see, that's to us, for the, the NES kids, right? They grew up and they always had video games. And their video games looked a lot better than their older brother's video yeah. games. But our video games were the first ones. We are in a unique situation that, as kids, this thing was invented. And it's it's more profitable now than all other forms of media and, and entertainment combined. Right? It's You could take movies, television, and music... Take all of that money, and it still doesn't equal what video games make. It's not even close. Yeah, we're talking billions of dollars difference. So we have nostalgia from a perspective of this entire industry, where the new people that are nostalgic for the NES, they don't have that. They've always had video games. My son, your son. They will have always had smartphones. They won't be nostalgic for a flip phone or a phone that's in your kitchen with a cord that always tangled up and tripped people. Or the dog walked by and pulled the phone right out of your hand by snagging the cord. Or or learning how to unravel that phone cord that always got tangled up in a little knot and you couldn't use it. You know, they don't have those memories. Theirs is touchscreens. So the nostalgia factor, I think, plays a huge part of the popularity of the NES and the Super NES classics. And eventually we'll get to the PS1s, the PS2s. It's all going to happen. Everybody gets nostalgic for what came before, how much better it was back then, because it was such an innocent time. None of which is true, but we always look in nostalgia with rose-colored glasses. That's just human nature. That that's just that's why people like you know uh, Brendan doesn't embrace the now. He embraces the before because it was just better back then. Life was more simple. Well, none of that is true. 
we just think of that time as better because maybe we're a little bit more innocent and we didn't have the wealth of information in 24 hours news cycles. Things were just as crappy back then as they are today. Right? That's an interesting thesis. That things were just as terrible. We just didn't know it. Yeah. Yep. We just didn't know it. It was what we didn't have mass murders and and illegal wars and and corporate greed. We didn't have racism back then. I mean, come on. It, there's no difference. Um, let's move on. We, we've got this. Two more things. We're already over an hour, so I want to get to these quickly. Okay. Hollywood is not happy with Rotten Tomatoes. In fact, they specifically blame. Rotten Tomatoes for how bad movies did this summer. Completely glossing over the fact that nobody wanted to see a new Transformers movie. Or, uh, I don't know, how, how many... Uh, Baywatch. Nobody nobody wanted to see Baywatch. Yeah. I, go figure. I, I mean, Brett Ratner says it's the destruction of their business. Yeah. Apparently, the review... The critics and reviews and the fact that anybody can be a critic now. Um, and, and yeah, what a load of crap. The yep. reason that they had a bad summer was because a lot of the movies released were terrible. Terrible. And people don't go and see terrible movies. All Rotten Tomatoes does, and it is tomatoes, not tomatoes. <laughs> uh, all Rotten Tomatoes whole do thing is, um, is allow you to see what the critics have said, mm -hmm. uh, and it spreads a little bit more word of mouth. I mean, anybody who's who's a big fan of the Transformers franchise is going to go and see it, whatever it, the reviews are on Rotten Tomatoes, and they might disagree, they might agree. Some, you know, who cares? The point is, is that the there are no things as surefire hits just because it's got a name that people recognise on it. Bad movies get bad word of mouth, and bad word of mouth means people don't, you know, they they people got plenty of spaces to spend their money. They don't go and spend money on bad movies. Right. This yeah. is what Brett Ratner doesn't seem to understand. <clears throat> Bad products at a higher price equals less sales. Make better movies. Don't charge us an arm and a leg to take a family to a movie when we've got a, 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 a huge choice to watch movies at home now. More movies that we could watch at home that we could possibly fit in our house in physical media. Thanks to stuff like Netflix and and iTunes and it's 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 massive. Yeah. So that's what they're competing against, and they're putting out crappy movies. Well, also non-original movies. Well, look what they did well this summer: Wonder Woman, yep. which was a, a fresh approach to something. Yep. You know, Spider Man. Uh, that, yeah. Spider-Man, which was another well-done movie. Yeah, it's a, what the sixth one they've they've come yeah. out with. Yeah, in the last ten years. Um, but there was that. Um, what's the one with the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, that that also did well. I'm I'm trying to think think outside the genres that that we we normally watch because um, I watch everything. It's this is what we talk no, well, about. But I watch the everything one about about the girls. Like, was it called Girls Trip or something? Oh yeah. Like, with the with the colored ladies on a on a night out. Yeah, I know which one you're talking it, about. It was a sleeper hit. Yeah, well, it was a sleeper hit. The reason that that one did well and several other similar movies did not this summer was because that was the only one that was any good. That was the funny one. That was the good one. Yep. Yeah. 
you know, the other ones, there was a Scarlett Johansson one where they kill the stripper or something like that, was not good. So people didn't go and see it. Yeah. You know, we are not sheep. This is the problem. These people, they talk about Rotten Tomatoes as reductionist because what it does is it reduces critical reviews down to a score. Yeah. I'll tell you what's reductionist, the attitude of the studio execs. It's like, oh, well, we can, you know, we can spend $150 million on any, um, you know, on any old rubbish and, and we can make it part of the universe and everyone's just going to go and see it. And they churn out something terrible like The Mummy or um, Kong Skull Island or half a dozen the other. Actually, called Skull Island, Kong, that was actually pretty good. I, it, I, was okay. it was okay. I, it I had, enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but it had some major... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem with it was, yeah, it was it was okay. It wasn't fabulous. Right. Yeah, these movies only make money if they're really, really good. Yeah, just ask Marvel. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Baywatch, please. Ugh. That could have been good, but it. I watched that movie thinking the actors were making a totally different movie than the director was. Yeah. The actors thought this was going to be a serious movie. So they were trying to be kind of serious with the acting, but the director thought he was doing a 21 Jump Street remake. Yeah, a spoof. Yeah, and it totally didn't work. It was a horrible movie. Not to mention the plot itself was stupid. And and they, uh, anyways. Um, yeah, well, look, that's a, that's a prime example of a movie that just does, like Transformers well, just does not need to be made. Right. We didn't need that. We didn't need another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah, which is terrible. They throw, each time they do one of these, you know, fifth or sixth um, version of a franchise, they throw more and more money into it because they convince them, well, you know, this one's going to be the big one, the absolute most massive one, and then they throw a huge marketing budget, and then they're disappointed when in fact they don't make any money. Wiki trolling. Let's wrap up with our wiki right. trolling. Um, I don't remember this product, David. Uh, and we're back in the technology field here. The Leading Edge Model D. The Leading wow. Edge Model D was an IBM Cologne computer first released by Learning Edge Hardware in July of 1985. It was initially priced at, are you sitting down, fourteen ninety five, configured with dual five and a quarter inch floppy drives, 256K of RAM, and a monochrome monitor. It was manufactured by South Korean conglomerate Daewoo and distributed by Canton, Massachusetts-based Leading Edge. Engineer, here's for our Apple fans out there, engineer Stephen Kang spent about four months designing the Model D at a cost of $200,000. Kang later became CEO of Macintosh clone maker Power Computing. In August of 1986, Leading Edge cut the price of the base model by 200 bucks to 12.95 and increased the memory to a whopping 512k. The Model D was an immediate success, selling 100,000 units in its first year of production. It continued to sell well for several years until a dispute with the dealers forced Leading Edge into bankruptcy in 1989. So you look at this as compared to today's specs and it's it's almost a joke. But this machine, the Model D, won about 1% of the American home computer market in 86. Now, 1% in 86 was not a big number. In fact, they tell you it's about 100,000 machines. But that means there was a million computers being sold that year, and they, they got 1% of that. That's not, that's not 
too shabby. Well, but, yeah, I've, ne- I've never heard this machine before, but um, because it was never sold outside the U.S., um, and I wasn't really into the, certainly the PC market um, during this period. Well, let's look uh, at the, the reception. PC Magazine in October of 85 called the Model D the clear winner among six inexpensive, remember how much this thing cost, yeah. inexpensive PC compatibles it tested. The review noted that computers many included hardware features and concluded that it may represent the next generation of power com- or personal computing. About as compact as a full IBM hardware compatibility allows, full features, quite, quite well made, and alluringly priced. The Model, D re- the Model D received a 4 out of 5 stars from InfoWorld, which praised the computer's high value and high level of compatibility. In December of 1985, it concluded... We recommend it highly, especially to the budget-conscious beginner. A positive review in October of 86 in Popular Mechanics cited low price and quality of its keyboard. Remember when we cared about keyboards? Yeah, I know. And and you know what? Nowadays, it makes you sad when the fact that even cheap machines like this had great keyboards back then. Yeah. You know. Um, What's interesting about this, really, is that um, this was kind of the wave of the per, the, P, the IBM PC coming out of the office and um, people starting to buy them at home because they became cheap enough. The equivalent machine in the UK was um, Amstrad did a PC clone. You know, uh, Amstrad is the company that was owned by uh, Alan Sugar, who's the guy who does The Apprentice here in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Amstrad was a, was a, you know, a big UK or European computer company back in the, back in the day. So, uh, and they did the same thing. They, they brought the price of the PC hardware down to a point where you could justify it as a home purchase rather than the thousands of dollars that IBM wanted to charge you. So, um, you know, the beginning of the home computer movement, really, in terms of, you know, machines that were... This was the first time with the with the IBM PC and the Mac where you start to get um, PCs in the office or in the home that were equivalent of each other rather than the home computer being substantially less powerful. So I was just kind of curious. I was looking on uh, eBay. Now, they don't have exactly this one. Nobody's selling one at the moment anyways. There will be eventually. Oh, wait. No, there's one. Oh, no. That's different. Um, Yeah, there's not one for sale. Somebody's got one that says Leading Edge... PC vintage model MP1637 or 1673 NOS computer with monitor box cord. It, it is a leading edge computer. <laughs> they want $500 for it. Uh, yeah, that or crack. I mean, that's what the guy really <laughs> wants is crack. So just send him some crack and he'll send you this old beat up computer. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't remember this either. Uh, in the mid-80s, I was not into computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, video games, I liked video games. But I was into, well, 85, I was about to get my driver's license a year later. So my full my my full focus at that point was my girlfriend, my part-time job, and getting my car first car. I mean, that's, you know, and getting ready to go into high school. Because that was the year between, let's see, 80, yeah. No, I was going into ninth grade. So... Yeah, I, I don't remember this at all. But <laughs> but when you look at the pictures, yeah, that's a mid-80s computer, 100%. Yep, beige uh, boxes, as they were back then. Yep, 
And if you want to see what it looks like, just look at the show notes because that's going to be the uh, <clears throat> that's going to be the cover for this episode, the leading edge computer. Not so leading anymore. No. Now, what's slightly disturbing me about the picture here on Wikipedia is not so much the computer; it's just next to it there appears to be a aerosol can of deodorant. Yeah, I'm I see that. What the hell that's doing in the picture? That's kind of weird, isn't it? It is. And right above the deodorant is an Apple printer. That's a style yeah. writer printer, I can tell. And I only see a quarter of it, but I, I know what that is. Yeah, this is... Uh, it, it, they didn't grab a, a, a vintage picture of what it looked like brand new. This is no. quite beat up. And yeah. they didn't even run it's, it through Photoshop. Uh, it appears to be running a, an Italian version of DOS as well. Uh, so, yeah, it does, yeah. doesn't it? Is, it, is that Italian or is it Spanish? Um, no, it's not. Apache. No, yeah. No, we, I... Bueno. Hmm. Addressar. Auto exec. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's... Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's uh, Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So there is our wiki trolling. I don't have any opinions on it other than... There, there it is. Thing. It's a thing. It existed at one time. It got good reviews. And the guy who designed it went on to become the CEO of Power Computing, which yep. tried their best to revolutionize the uh, Apple clone market and succeeded until Steve Jobs came back and said, no, 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 yeah. no. But I'll, I'll tell you what, listeners, if you want to go and buy a leading edge computer on eBay, I reckon you've got more chance of scoring one of those before Christmas than you have in the SNES Classic. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm quite sure of it. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'd love to get feedback from you guys. Uh, we didn't get into feedback this week simply because of the Apple event. We have too much ranting and raving we had to do. Um, send us email. Uh, email. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, techfanpodcast, or my Mac. I post to both of those. And uh, we are on the Facebook. The dog's shaking it off. He knows that I'm getting ready to wrap up the show. That means I can let him outside now. So, David, anything before we go? Uh, no, I also need to go outside. Yeah, you got P2? <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. I have seen that.